Welcome to the Yoga Connection with Zorananda. The Yoga Connection is a deep dive into everything yoga. Follow along with Zorananda and his guests as they discuss yoga history, spirituality, different practices, and the many misconceptions that have followed along throughout the years of yogic tradition. Welcome everybody to the Yoga Connection. My name is Zora Nanda, and I have great pleasure to speak again with someone I've befriended, um, kind of unwittingly through, you know, social media. And now, man, like we just dive deep into, you know, the modern spiritual angle of living life and what it means to be a human in this time and. Uh, so I welcome back with Grace Zarnoosh. Um, yeah, this one I'm really excited for because of all the projects that you are working on, especially in your music and just the stories that are going to come out of it because, you know, before this we were just kind of getting into it and yeah, I'm really happy to be able to sit here with you and share what it is that you have within you. So, um, welcome. Thank you, Zorananda. It's such a great pleasure to be back and to talk with you as always. And I really do appreciate your place in my life. And I'm so glad we were able to connect in the way we were. And I have been working my ass off creating magical endeavors. And I cannot wait to share my journeys with you. Excellent, man. So let's uh, get into it and, you know, tell people, uh, yeah, what this new music endeavor is for you and uh, especially I think what the process has been for you, you know, cause I think, um, we're all going through this kind of leveling up. So then when we get to a next level and we start to see what's around us and what we have, there's this kind of coping and this like grounding into that's necessary. So, um, yeah. What was it like for you to then really amp up what you had to do for this next project? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been a continuous cycle of reinvention and trying to be aware of that reinvention, trying to get in front of that reinvention. Um, I've come to so many forks in the road in my creative journey. I've been doing this since I was really young. And um, it's just this cycle has been such a blessing because it really feels like all of the lessons I've ever learned I've forced myself to be aware of all the pain. I've forced myself to endure all the pleasure. I've forced myself to sacrifice really has coalesced into this amazing opportunity for me. And yeah, so um, what Zorananda I believe is referencing is I have teamed up with an amazing production collective, um, Dragon Endic and the 97 Collective in Toronto, who they have just worked with so many talented people. and. It's such an amazing team of creatives there. They're all brilliant and artistic and authentic. And we are currently working on a debut series of short films slash music videos to launch uh, my music to the world. And I couldn't be more excited. And it's such a fucking amazing journey. So thank you for asking, Zorananda. Yeah, man, you're so welcome. And I'm just remembering some of the clips that you've shared and just like how trippy they are and how suited they are to the music. Um, it just it just reminds me of how there's these new waves in music that are being created of like um, 
you know, one example is like the villain phase of your life. Right. And like kind of labeling it as like you're on this hero's journey and in the hero's journey, you know, you can switch back and forth from the hero and the villain and you're determining for yourself, like which stage of that you're entering into and also how it's coming into your life as well. But, um, what I'm seeing, um, here is like your own creation. It's like, you're not going based on that stuff. It's like your own persona and your own character and the depth that it holds and the mystery that it is right. With the mask and like the cloak and, um, this like, yeah, mysterious demeanor. It's really awesome. Thank you so much. You know, I cannot take credit for it. I've told this story a bunch of times. We don't necessarily have to unravel the whole thing, but mm -hmm. essentially I was subconsciously forced into an lifelong manifestation of a mystical experience I had before I understood that it was a mystical experience. And that is what Zarnish is in the mask. Um, is just a manifestation of essentially my subconscious who I met as an anthropomorphized entity during a really bad LSD trip when I was young. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of been haunting me my whole life. And each year, like a piece of that puzzle has kind of fallen into place where it's like, yeah, you were meant to learn from that experience and you have learned and now you have to share that same lesson as best as you can while you have the loop mm. of material existence. Incredible. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I can see just from the video clips that you shared how that really reflects, right? Um, yeah, so what is it like what's it like working at that capacity you know like what's it like kind of having a studio and having the cameras having the crew and you know the availability of the technology and the skill to be able to depict what it is that you feel zarnoosh is right because that's what i kind of get from watching the clips and you know being prepared for the music that you're coming out with Oh, this is such a great question. This is something I've I've been struggling with for so long. So even in the way you ask the question is so validating to this dark soul. So thank you for validating my quest. Honestly, there's two paths I've seen. There's the path of forcing your vision onto other creatives and getting what you want at all costs, which is a dark path. And I've been at the receiving end of that and it, it will deplete everyone's souls involved the person at the receiving end as well as the person who's trying to do the controlling even if it's for a noble cause if that karmic balance is off put that person it will return to them and and it's just not a good way to live your life so for a long time that was all i saw like if you have such an abstract idea in order to manifest it the only people i was able to look up to at all who had manifested it who were present in my, my material life not people in a book or on a television show um we're had to be controlling about it and and that was very confusing for me because i felt like that wasn't the way forward so somewhere along the line i think i just instinctively and intuitively understood that curation of the other creatives you work with like mm. make sure you're you 
approach people to help you with your ideas who you genuinely resonate with. Um, it was very simple for me with Dragon. I had no idea about um, his repertoire. I had not really looked into his collective. I just had a simple Instagram ad pop up on my, very similar to how we met. Um, yeah. Honestly, honestly a intuitive action based on a feeling. And is much similar to Dragon. Um, I just saw a video of a rose on fire and I had been spending a long time looking for a director to work with to kind of bring my subconscious to the conscious. And um, that the symbolism of that rose on fire just really struck me. And I reached out and in, in a matter of weeks, we were working. Amazing. So yeah, curation. Sorry, to conclude to answer your question, yeah. I think I almost did it. Curation of the people you work with. It's very easy to trust Dragon with my idea because his art is already halfway there. Man, that's, um, that's really beautiful to see because it shows the power of social media in a glimpse, right? Of like what the potential is to utilize this kind of technology in connecting with other people and how our actions and putting our content out there is the magnet for attracting the kinds of people that we want to work with. Right. So like, um, that's, what's encouraging to me is how social media can be used. And, then just the magic involved with synchronicity, right? Like how you're able to make that happen so quickly and see results, right? Where in any conventional means of trying to use communication, making a connection like that with someone maybe like 40 or 50 years ago, like whoever, like wherever that person is, like, I don't know where um, this director is like Toronto, centered in Ontario. Toronto as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just interesting for to me to see um, how we can utilize this technology to a benefit, and amazing. So, how long have you been working on the project so far? Like, when was uh, you know when was that time when you guys started uh, communicating to starting to make stuff to like kind of where you're at now? Yeah, I'm not sure I, I do want to get too heavy into the timeline, but I will say it's a large amount of work and mm -hmm. it's ongoing. And I'm not even trying to worry about the finish line as much as I'm just trying to get lost in the process and take my time with each detail as I have thus far. But it's a very involved process and I'm not even looking for the finish line currently. Yeah, that's great. Um... I think in the creative process, we're all kind of at the whim of what it is that's driving us personally, right? So um, especially remembering what you said in one of the last podcasts, maybe it was the first one with the video that like your mode of creativity and how you're actually coming up with the content also like um, uh, through improvisation almost in the moment as well too of like, where things are going to go. So that just, that totally makes sense. And I think that's what makes what, um, you're creating, um, so mysterious. Right. And, um, that's what I thought was like 
for me personally uh, appealing to what I was seeing and like wanting to uh, yeah just like talk to you about it and support you in, in what you're doing well mystery or my story yeah I never even thought of it that way <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah, life's an illusion man Th yeah thank you so much absolutely I, this whole process for me has been a lifelong spiritual adventure i have just taken my inner work and i have put it on a platter i have decided to just share it for what it's worth all my terrible thoughts all my great ideas like just dumping it all out there because i do believe there is something to be said about re-accessing our subconscious mind. And I think learning to dance between your conscious and your subconscious mind is the dance of eternity. And to me, that is what my art is about. It is definitely about bridging the gap between the subconscious and conscious realms. Hmm. Interesting. And that's one thing we definitely relate with um when it comes to just like understanding of spiritual practice because that's largely what i've seen um my exploration has been as well is like understanding the role of conscious and subconscious and how you have access to it and how you don't have access to it and what is naturally happening as opposed to what can be conjured and what can be almost like controlled and directed right um so that's what I thought was usually exactly. tricky, you know, like uh, understanding the relationship between the two. And for me, it really pointed towards the heart and how the heart is this like central mechanism within our body that is producing electric magnetic energy and so much more that, um, you know, when we're at the whim of that, I think that process of just being totally in the moment and totally creative and improvisational um that it does create a magic like people see it and it has an effect on on consciousness and i think um it's so good to see that within um like the mode that you're creating in right um and you know, before we started rolling, uh, there's uh, one thing that you're talking about is like throughout this process of creating your music that you're also fasting. And um, yeah, what like what was that about? Like what um, what inspired you to, you know, take that route and add that into your process? I love challenging myself. I love a good challenge so much. I, I really think it's amazing pushing the limits of my mind. I really have always been drawn to playing with my own subconscious and conscious mind, which is really what that was about. Um, the health aspects, I've been playing with my body my whole life. Um, you know, we can start with the negative side first. I mean, I chose to allow material food-based gluttony as a way to cope with a healing process I was going through in my mind for a long time. And I knew that I needed something. Um, I needed some sort of set of training wheels in order to 
fix myself in the way I wanted to fix myself moving forward. And so, you know, a few years ago, I decided to allow food to be those training wheels. So, so it almost hit a point of necessity when my mind was feeling really good. You know, I, I, I heard a really great way of putting this, that because we are, you know, it could duality, non-duality, all the forms of compartmentalizing the human, the human existence aside, we are pretty much 50% unseen forces like the mind and 50% seen forces like the body. So I realized that even though my mind was in a really great place, I was feeling really creative and articulate and my thoughts were feeling really well and ordered, that I could only be functioning at overall a 50% capacity if my body, I had butchered it, allowing myself to butcher my body and my relationship with food as a coping mechanism to fix what I needed to in my mind. Eventually I had to snap out of that and realize that now it's time to take the training wheels off. And well, I guess with my passion, I started to push it. First, I just started intermittent fasting and then more and more and more until it kind of, for about three and a half to four months, I've been eating one or two meals a week. And in the middle of that, some weeks I did better than others. My best week was a six day water fast. And it was amazing. Um, the spiritual benefits aside, which there were so many spiritual benefits, I could slow down and think. I started to dial into my relationship with food, realize how much of my time is spent in hunting and gathering and preparing and eating. And so now there was a time thing. There was hours and hours a day. I didn't need as much sleep. My visual acuity was up. My sores started to vanish. It was everything we've heard in reality and it was just amazing to experience it and really it just it, it upsets me to the, there's a deep anger that comes when i see things like the medical system which i think is to be respected i think just like any field there are great doctors and there might be some bad apples as well so i'm not trying to mislabel the entire medical field but it seems very simple to me to ask someone to do a six day seven day water fast and you're going to fix so many problems that would otherwise be handed out, go see this chiropractor, take this medicine, do this, do that, do this, do this, just adjust your diet. How about just don't eat for a bit and push yourself and see that the results like outweigh the psychological struggle with the hunger cravings, the, the want of taste, which I found was way stronger than the actual physical I'm hungry. There was very little physical I'm hungry. There was mostly I want to taste things was what I felt. So yeah, it was amazing and it directly and affected my art and I was accessing new levels creatively and new levels of confidence and understanding and my relationship with the infinite has only grown and I'm starting to fall in love with the infinite, which is I've always got so fasting has been amazing and it's in my arsenal for life and I'm so great I access that and recommend it to everyone. Amazing. Yeah, that's not so as as easy as it is through repetition, right? Like um, there are the challenges that are involved at like as the days go on. But um, I I wrote something down that uh, um, that I thought of while you were uh, talking was like, I think that challenge is just because the value we put on food, 
right? It's just like having three meals a day and depending on what your lifestyle is, um, the use of that food is going to go in a multitude of ways, right? Either like you're doing a lot of heavy physical training and you're, you know, building muscle and mass or you're not and you're still active, but, um, like you can see how just like the, um, easy ability to gain weight or, um, like none at all. Right. So, um, I was just thinking about like the value of food of like how that's taught to us. It's not like we really think when we're kids that we need to do those things. Right. It's like where it's impressed upon us and there's industry that is a part of that. Right. And so to gain knowledge that you can abstain yourself from eating, you know, three meals a day for, you know, a week and have water, what that is doing to your body, right? Because we're so used to just eating and eating and eating and converting where if we take a break from eating and converting and we just like hydrate and it's like, literally we're just like rinsing ourselves out from just like mm -hmm. years and years of eating without ever stopping. <laughs> That's what it seems like. It's just like we're nonstop yeah. eating and just to like yeah. take a break and be like, okay, I'm just going to like not eat for a little bit. And how weird that is psychologically, like how people wouldn't even be able to understand how to do that. Right. They're just like, what do you mean? I don't eat every day. What do you mean? I just like don't eat for a week. Right. Because there's these beliefs and these conditionings that like we survive off food. So if we don't eat, then we're kind of like, going towards this threshold of harming ourselves. Um, one second. Okay, there we go. Um, I, I think that's such a great perspective, Zornanda. That's exactly it. And it's so, if, I hear, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, just do it. But there's a reason why people don't just do it. And it's not necessarily the individual's fault. There are many external forces kind of pushing this narrative down onto us. A lot of good people, great people, people around us, family, friends, coaches, teachers, uh, it's endless. And, and, and I think a lot of this has to do with we're raised to kind of live in this kind of top-down expertise society that the information has to come from the dude who has passed the checkpoints according to this system in this world. And that's the only place that the information is allowed to come from. When I think for me personally, at a very young age, I was kind of able to see through that paradigm and kind of test myself, like continuing the trajectory of, oh, I touched this thing, it's hot. And relying on my self-feedback and really trusting my body in spite of what the experts might be saying. And after playing with that for a long time, it just seemed that it was lining up and I could extrapolate. And the things that I was able to do with my body, as opposed to what the people around me were saying should be possible, um, lined up with the new science as it started to come, as the newer developments started to come, showing the benefits of fasting and ketogenic diet. And, you know, there's definitely been like, I, I think I'm not the only one who's been feeling this, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I do, I do agree. There's a lot of social engineering that might affect 
people's ability to even psychologically be open to the concept of pushing these boundaries. And I think that's the fortunate thing with all of this, right? Like the ability to have these conversations and put it out for people to hear it because, um, you know, some people are going to stumble upon this and they might just be the exact person that wants the motivation to start something like this and feel good about it. Right. Especially talking to someone who just did it and does it regularly and seen, has seen the benefits, um, to someone like me who has done it in like yogic ways and is feeling inspired. Cause I haven't done like a full six day water fast. And so, um, you know, like the most that I've done in fasting is like 24 hour fast. If I like feel That's like great. there's something that needs to be cleansed out, but then I have done like full on Shanka Prakshalana salt water fasts, right? Where I'm cool. drinking 18 liters of water, salt water and, and literally flushing it through my body. Right. So Whoa, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty intense and it's invigorating at the same time, but then there's this very real patience of what you do for the next seven days in rebuilding your body's like digestive system. Cause you've just literally scrubbed it with salt water. And so, um, yeah, there's just like all the mucus lining in your intestines that have to be rebuilt up because if you just start eating regular food, you'll actually do damage to yourself. That's why like this one, um, you have to, be really careful with and you need the guidance of someone else because um i think on our own if you're new to it uh you'll succumb to your own temptation of eating something that you shouldn't right so like when i did it i was in an ashram and had the guidance of my teacher vishaji um who i just did an episode with and um yeah. So when you have that person to like kind of keep accountability with how much food you're eating and, and how you're mixing the kitchery kind of soup with, uh, or like stew with ghee, um, there's definitely things to be mindful of. And, um, I want to draw that to the fasting part, right. Where, um, there's just things that people would want to be mindful of when they're doing it. Right. Because, if you Absolutely. if you know that your relationship with food is already quite challenged in the fact that like um, going maybe 10 hours without food is problematic. Right. Because I think the most typical thing is like people getting angry and agitated and irritable. And um, what I found is facing that is such a great provide such a great opportunity to understand how you get triggered in other ways as well too because i think if you can take the most basic form of what you get triggered by if it's just your own hunger no one else is responsible for that right only you are responsible for how you are reacting to something that's going on in your body and what that would do over many days. Right. And then like the act of like drinking water and you're literally flushing water. So it's not only in your body, it's in your mind and your emotions too. You're using that water to flush like everything. Um, it is important to be careful and you're absolutely right. I should be a little bit more responsible with this message. Um, yeah, it was, it, there were moments of great difficulty. And like you just said, this psychological aspect, 
it absolutely helps with your reactivity because food is such a reactive kind of process and especially within the western world you know we are so lucky to live in a time of such great abundance such great abundance like the world may have never known at least in our cycle of society and humanity so with that said i mean there is so much temptation and food has become such a i'm hungry i'm bored why don't we go try this new fancy korean pogo joint that just opened up like that sounds delicious why you know and it's a reactive thing it's like ooh, sparkly things like crows and sparkly things so really if you can get on top of that and look and stare into the abyss of your hangriness there is some real wisdom in that because if you can live with that in those moments of frustration and yeah the people around me i kind of kept my distance i had to during the beginning of the process because i was a little bit um irritable and who wouldn't be after changing something that you've lived with as your daily routine your entire existence so it's a process and definitely it helps if you have someone around to support you i was really grateful that my wife was able to provide a lot of emotional support amazing in, in that process for me and i don't know if i would have been able to do it without her and my family yeah so exactly that's like really a good key thing is like having people around you that you trust and understand what you're going through right and so then with any temptation you know you can get through it and then you can um, fulfill your like obligation to yourself in this task right um, amazing and um So another thing that we were talking about before, which I think this kind of leads into of, um, you know, this producer that you met through uh, this like Instagram ad and um, the kind of relationship that you've developed with him and some of the things that he's shared with you. Um, yeah. And like how really this act of fasting is um, yogic in uh in ways right and it's like you know highly sought out for in in yoga like if you even just like look at the sad like the sadhus and um the yogis in the himalayas right like they're um one of their main tenets is fasting and and having a really light diet um i even remember vishuji whenever we'd be at the ashram um he would have like very little food he'd have a banana and some uh just like simmered milk for breakfast and then like a small meal in the evening and some of the times he wouldn't even have a meal we can kind of see especially in the 300 hour it was really amazing because um we were actually all going very deep together and he would have these downloads and he would say things to us where in the moment he'd be like Oh, I typically don't share this kind of stuff, but I'm getting a download. And um, I always found that when I observed what he was like walking around and what he was doing and interacting with people is um, this like active meditation that was just kind of happening all at, at the same, like happening all the time. And um, so I can see how there's a spiritual implication to it right and just how it naturally happens because of the change in how your body's operating um but um yeah so 
everything that you've done in fasting um, is this kind of training for this leveling up that you're doing within yourself and this self-discovery and this amplification of spirituality. And along that way, there are people that kind of show up. There are um, kind of things that you hear and this wisdom that you obtain, like you're saying um, about this like mage um, person who um, was indicating that this fasting is yogic in nature. Um, And, you know, then how that translates into new opportunities and new projects, right? So like where else would you have uh, or have you um, done other work and uh, manifested people in your life to share what you've been doing from all this fasting? Fasting is an exercise in surrender and surrendering to your discomfort and what else is making great art but living in your vulnerability which is a really difficult place to be and you know i'll say on set with dragon and the 97 collective these guys are really creative men and women with awesome resumes and you know they don't miss a beat so in order for me to do what i had to do um it took a element of learning to live with feelings that might not be easy to live with. And that is directly related to the fasting. Like you said, if you can control what you put into your body, I mean, you can control anything really. Yeah. Cause that's, um, that's really the one thing in our life where it's it's both like autonomic and participatory you know it's like we can't help but get hungry and we can't help have the urge to eat because of some base survival needs that are just imprinted in us in our dna um and the desire for taste like you're that you're sharing earlier mm-hmm. and um just like that drive for that pleasure where Fasting is really like splitting a wedge between those two and it's and it's causing this kind of separation so that you can look at each and understand the relationship to both of them because you you can't really if you're always kind of indulging right because then you almost snuff out the autonomic part of it and you don't want to know what's happening subconsciously. You don't want to really have strong hunger urges and strong desires for certain foods. You just want to give in and just have in the moment what you want. And so this like wedge is created to then analyze not only your desire for the pleasure of it, but also that primordial sense of survival. And then like what it's making way for, right? What it's literally clearing out is like, oh, I'm relying on myself and I'm in this present moment as living without food, what's going to happen, right? And I, and I think that's what like really can open us up to opportunity and, and be really clear on what we're pulling in, right? So, um yeah, like the, um, you know, like uh, the song that you were working with and like the verse that you were hopping onto um, and got to share and, and create. 
yeah, I had a really amazing opportunity along the way on my fasting journey. There has been a total um, reformation of the people I've been blessed to be able to spend my time with. And this was an interesting one. Um, a really, really great old friend of mine from childhood, um, from high school, actually, and from my hometown. I was recently able to reconnect with them once again, because, you know, I had found we met on Instagram. I also have a Facebook and for a long time, I was not on Facebook and I'd been kind of sharing my journey with my art and you know, my, my spiritual journey and working on myself in this Instagram world. And I had built up a completely separate kind of identity for myself, hiding behind the mask, sharing my magic. And I realized at one point that there might be, in fact, some of my childhood friends who maybe one or two of them might need to hear some of these words might need to might could actually use that oh zarnoosh fasted and now he feels better and more in control of his emotions and more aligned with his vocation and his goals like if there is one person out there from my childhood who could benefit to that then so be it why am i blocking that because of some these people don't get to see the side of me thing. And, and I kind of tapped onto that and I started sharing the content that drew us together um, on Facebook. And in that journey, and this was through the fasting, I kind of had this download as you were to, as you mentioned earlier, almost like a download. I just, you know, I'm sitting there with my thoughts. I'm like, why have I been so precious with this aspect of myself? you know, and mm. in releasing that and surrendering to that feeling and, you know, who cares if they don't get it, if one person gets it, it's enough. And I acted on that instinct. And very quickly, I started to have some amazing old souls from my life loop reach out to me and reconnect. And one of the ones who reached out was um, a fantastic producer. His name is Sunrain. And he currently operates out of a recording studio here in Toronto called Half Moon Audio. And this was actually the first time that I've ever worked on a piece of music that wasn't exclusively created by me and added my voice to it. And I kind of went in to this like opportunity and it was just such an amazing creative experience, you know, and we both create and we're both self-taught musicians which i think was very it's a very powerful thing when we have discovered the language through similar means and we were just able to create a really amazing song and i had to surrender to taking my voice outside of my comfort zone and creating with somebody else and not being precious with this thing and it was just one synchronicity after another and i was able to create gorgeous piece of music that I'm definitely going to put on my first release or these series of videos I'm working on this is going to be involved and I made a project that is going to be with me for the rest of my life effortlessly top to bottom in a few hours with an old friend of mine and this is directly related to the fasting this is directly related to that struggle and I, I just cannot wait to see what other amazing opportunities challenging myself mentally will open myself up to yeah and that's that's the fun part about discovering these things or um really exploring for yourself is 
the you know the happiness and the desire to share it with other people right especially those close to us and i know that's how i felt on my yoga journey too like i was always um you know wanting my family and like the people close to me to be able to benefit um in some of the things that i was doing right and um So there's like one thing that I want to draw into this that I want to relate to yoga with um, that I was thinking about earlier um, <clears throat> as like a little like educational piece is um, in in like the energetics of yoga and particularly the koshas. There's this one kosha called the pranamaya kosha, which has to do with your pranic body. And that there are four, um, there are four elements to it that make up how you build your pranic body or how you um, nourish the pranamaya kosha. And it's breath, food, environment, and action. And mm. and so this like uh, the kind of missing piece in what we were talking about is breath, but it's still very much there, right? Because um, that is like the initial kind of life-giving driving force but then you know what we're talking about with food really goes into that and like what you're eating and how you're doing it and how fasting gets into that because then your deliverance of food is on this new kind of schedule right and then that plays into what your environment is going to be like because then when you're always fasting you want to have a certain kind of environment with certain kinds of people in it so that you can continue doing the fasting and it's not going to be perturbed. And then when you're done the fasting, what kind of actions you're taking afterwards. And it's like the karma of all, it's what ties all three of those together. You know, um, in the last podcast I did with Vishuji, he talked about this and he was saying how important the karma and the action part is because if you have your breath, your food, and your environment, but you're not doing anything, you're not actually going out and living your purpose and utilizing this buildup of energy in your pranic body, that it just kind of goes stagnant. And then you kind of build this stagnant aura in your pranic body that becomes heavy and it becomes a burden to try to clear through because now the next time you try to build good prana, you have to build and push out all this old uh, stagnant prana. So the best thing that you can do is when you start to take actions of bettering your relationship with your breath, with your food and your environment, that you immediately get the downloads and drive to create and co-create, right? So it makes sense how um, what you were doing with, with fasting then just like allowed you to meet this other producer and to work on this track and how it laid out a new path of growth right of doing things that you haven't really done before with your voice or with your music oh and it's a stronger deeper connection than that Zorananda, mm -hmm. because because in fact i did work on my environment and i did work on my breath work i did i i've always breath work for me um was hardwired into my soul when i was able to take taekwondo i did pursue taekwondo when i was young i was a young one i had my black belt by the age of 15 um pretty young so for me that that you know it was about eight years of like 
three to four times. I, I wasn't going to tournaments or anything, but I respected the um, diligence of going to my classes and working for those belts and working through that. And I learned about beginning breathwork there. Um, we would start every class with a meditation and you need to control your breath to do some of the more advanced maneuvers. And when you're sparring, breathwork is a big part of sparring and breath is very tied into every movement in Taekwondo as well. So, and I kind of kept that with me and I guess always playing with my mind body connection myself just for the fun of it, just because I discovered it was possible and I like to push myself. I was a, I've always been playing with my breath and you know, I definitely have been actively meditating more during my fast. I definitely did take uh, during one of my tougher days I took that energy and I re kind of wired my recording studio up. I brought out some old synths who were hiding their magic for a while and I reinvigorated my environment, complete breath of fresh air. And I let it sit for a couple of days. I put a pause and continued back to the fast and came back to it. And it was just like reinvigorating in so many ways creatively. And so there was the breath work, food. What, what were the four? Breathwork, food, environment, and action. And action. And then that is what led me. It culminized in me taking action. And there is such an, it's so wise. And the more I learn about yoga from you, the more I see the connections to yoga in my own journey. And it's so cool to see that there, there's a dedicated way to take these abstractions and diligently access them to keep your energy balanced and to keep because that stagnant energy gave me shivers when you mentioned that because i instinctively knew that i've spent large swaths of my life in that mm -hmm. and now i understood why so you just gave me such an amazing piece of my journey in explaining that to me so thank you so much you're welcome yeah and i wonder um you know, how many people relate to feeling like they have a heaviness on them that they can't really pin a location on, right? Like, like there, there's some kind of sense of like having shoulder tension or neck tension or like tension in like the back or upper part of your neck, the base of your skull. But like to feel a kind of burden of despair and it's a heaviness of the mind that has no mass, right? So it's hard to kind of really grasp what it is that the despair is about and this is what i found so helpful with yoga is because there are these um packages of information that point to explaining these things and that's what i feel kind of my purpose in in this and what i've had a knack for is being able to articulate things kind of in a scientific way but also bridging the traditional ways of how Yogi saw it in the Himalayas, right? And I'm fortunate that I've been able to receive that from my teacher who's like, you know, legitimately a Himalayan yogi. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What a great podcast that was. And um, I learned a lot from it and what an amazing presence. And it, that's really awesome that you have someone like that around you to mentor you and guide you through that. I have my friends for that. I have you for that. Yeah. I don't have a specific mentor like that. And I see the value in that. And I just kind of have to take the pieces of wisdom where I can mm -hmm. because I don't have someone kind of directing 
my disaster, you know? Well, that's the interesting thing because like I barely see him. Like um uh, when I went to interview him was the first time I've seen him in maybe 4 years. And wow. my only interaction with him would be through social media or sometimes I would just send him like a one minute kind of voice clip if I'm asking him a certain question. Like um, uh, I'm writing a book right now as well. I'm like writing my yoga compendium of the kind of important things that I find needed to be shared in the yoga community that I think are missing. And so I'd ask him questions about some of the things that I've been planning and some of the things that I've been writing. Um, but it was like seldom, I think I only asked them maybe two questions like about the koshas or something. And, um, and so I, I'm careful when it comes to my interaction with like a teacher like that, because I know typically what happens is there's this obsession that takes over and people can't help themselves but need to be around a kind of person that is just like um disseminating like light and knowledge and wisdom um and it's largely because of my own view of self-mastery right like you delude your own self-mastery when you put someone on a pedestal to give you access to self-mastery. I think that's the trap and that there are a lot of teachers out there who utilize that kind of technique, right? And they have subtle ways to keep people kind of in their place and in the cog of the machine of their own like big whatever company industry that they're part of, right? So, um, this plays into that whole environmental and environment and action, right? Where, um, when I look at my teacher's life and, and the simplicity of it, that encourages me in my own self mastery to know the slippery slope into becoming something that could take advantage of people. And so that to me is like a pretty big blessing. And, um, and so then I don't need to like be around him all the time, you know, um, you're the 22nd century yogi, man. I mean, I, I, it's very refreshing to hear that. I feel like a 22nd century shaman myself. And I think, yeah, there's a, yeah. there's a new wave of it that's coming. And I think, um, uh, the like top pedestal, like I'm a guru and I have this amazing way of bringing enlightenment to people and this is the way that you should do it, I think is now just like outdated. And so um, what I've been feeling motivated is how to represent myself as someone that is articulate in this stuff and that there is an intelligence involved. However, my humanity is still there and intact and I still have my own karma that I'm working through. I still have my own life that's happening that um, I'm surrendered to and I'm at the whim of, right? So there's, you know, as much as there are stories of yogis being really powerful beings and doing all sorts of crazy things to control their environment, um, there's also a facade to that where um, there are limitations put on some aspects depending on, like, who you are, right? 
Um, typically those stories that we hear about are of like Himalayan yogis that their environment and the action that they're taking based on the amount of food that they're taking and the kind of breath and the air that they're taking in. Imagine the difference between being in a city like Toronto or Edmonton and being downtown where there's all this crazy noise and cars and pollution as opposed to being like in the mountains in the Himalayas and you're in a cave and you're just like maybe like a two kilometer walk or three kilometer walk down into a forest or something. You know what I mean? Mm. So lovely. Yeah. So being someone like myself and like yourself, well, we're taking on this, um, this task of spiritualizing ourselves and we're utilizing the knowledge of like ancient cultures, um, that we have a burden that, they don't have and vice versa right they had their own burdens that we don't have but then we supplement those burdens with the advances advancements that we have with technology and like all industry right and then the burden that we have is that we're obsessed and addicted and manipulated by all of it (laughs) yeah the social engineering exactly i would love to touch on something though you said that uh felt nice to me to hear which is that i actually think this knowledge that we're reintroducing which is essentially i think it kind of boils down to the concept between morality versus consciousness where i would argue that being conscious conscious versus being moral are two separate things morality is a flexible system that adapts based on socioeconomic standards, cultural standards, and environmental standards. So that means the morality of an Indian in a village is going to be very different than the morality of, um, you know, a suit um, working in downtown New York in the financial district. So I think developing your higher self and accessing your consciousness and your divine seed of not quite you, but definitely you, inside of you is a better approach to being a moral person than relying on a preordained set of rules and you kind of said that we have new rules and that relying on you know specifically one person as like the light bearer and you know like a prophet right it's it's does so i would like to talk about zoroastrianism i guess so ancient zoroastrianism was of this um essentially if i have my history correct and i and and nobody really knows for sure with this stuff so i'm just doing my best to be genuine to the facts as much as i can but before zoroastrianism religions were more based on deifying environmental aspects like the god of the sun whatever culture or religion around the world yeah you get that in the mayans right with like um their calendar and how they like even named people after the task that they were born under right and like absolutely yeah exactly the minds are a great example of this and so when zarashians came around they, they they were like the first to be like let's write a story and there's there's a singular kind of entity like the concept of a grandfather god and a grand devil ahura mazda and ariman were the terms we use for the benevolent infinite good and the benevolent infinite bad and 
the thing about Zarashan that was amazing that as monotheistic religions continued to evolve, Zoroastrianism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, with each one taking from the previous system and refastening it for a new time period, essentially. And what we have is this offset from the morality and consciousness of the self towards follow these 10 commandments like there there is a very clean kind of trajectory if you really study these grand religions and the zoroastrian kind of concept of heaven and hell was this energetic concept that we you were supposed to wear this is the kind of material dramatic aspect you'd wear this piece of cloth and there's a pocket in this piece of cloth and all your good deeds good thoughts and good words and the good deeds and good thoughts and good words that you could have expressed but chose not to, as well as all your bad thoughts, bad deeds, and bad words, at the end of your life, you come, you walk up to this grand bridge, and all of these things fall out, and then the scales of justice are weighed, and if you did more good and acted on the hired amount of good opportunities, then your access to this infinite goodness and heaven wasn't a place it was like a state of consciousness so then you would grant access to the infinite consciousness of ahura mazda and so i do like to take it back now along the way zoroastrianism has been reinvented and essentially the priests from all the different versions of zoroastrianism have kind of tragically you know saturated the core pure concept of the beginning of of the prophets, Zarathustra, what he was trying, the wisdom he was spitting, and he was spitting some hot fire, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. And essentially what Zarathustra was saying was like, it's up to you to judge what is right and what is wrong and to not rely on an external system. Like no priest can tell you what is right and wrong because they're not living your life. They don't know the intricacies of the moral exchanges between the people in your life. So sometimes um, a standardized rule set is not going to apply to your life. Like you might sometimes doing a bad thing according to morality will yield a higher moral good. So it's really weighing that and only you know that and stuff. So all that to say is that we are in a new time. You're absolutely right. And the old ways won't work, but the really old ways all of a sudden seem more relevant than ever before. Yeah, it's it's um uh I just want to say uh I got that like 10 minute timer thing and so there's like 5 minutes um left until uh Zoom will kick us out. So when that happens, we can come right back and then and then wrap it up after that. Um So um yeah, I that whole idea of um what becomes kind of uh an like antique almost right like if you were to look back in the 1900s and 1800s and we look at the technologies that were there and just what was modern at that time now we consider antique right we're like that's an outdated time we have the technology and we have the modernity that we have now and it's much better it's much more efficient seemingly um and inevitably there's now things already from 20 years ago 30 years ago that are becoming antique but they're still operating right so it's like some old computers some um like old 
ways of uh, listening to music, like records, right? Like um, that whole system is still there and it's still a part of our modern time, but it's like fast approaching antique where eventually it's just not even going to be utilized, right? Um, and so it's interesting to think about before all of that and how there's this like interweaving um, thread throughout the ages that bring in ideas from the far past and create this whole new kind of uh, plant, you know, it's like this whole new kind of thing um, within the modern time and how it just plugs itself into the technologies that we have. So um, what would be an example of that? It would be like, um, uh, say in like, uh, for music and how, um, instruments from back then that were like just largely acoustic suddenly come in and become like electric, right? Like a violin, um, where, you know, we have obviously the development of the electric guitar in the sixties, but then to, um, go back farther and reach for something to then modernize it and continue its relevancy. And, um, you know, in the case of then ideas, uh, we look at something like Zoroastrianism, that when you look at the textures from that, the texts from that day and bring it into what's happening now, there's all of a sudden this relevancy. And um, that's what I've seen happen to yoga as well, right? That's starting from the 1900s and how it's come into our society, that it's adapted over that time to not just be a philosophical exchange, like from uh, Swami Vivekananda and Yogananda, who um, were largely here just to disseminate knowledge of what uh, Indian mysticism is, that is not tied to the occult, that it's its own system. And here are the things that can relate to being in touch with God, right? Like that was uh, uh, Yogananda's big thing is this um relevancy with jesus and um you know uh this like level of christ consciousness but um anxiety man that that's what happened you know essentially we lo- and i do see the one minute here but i think it, it just it we needed what the western world taught us to get us this abundance but I think along the way, like just looking back at the ancients, the Zoroastrians and the Egyptians, spirituality was part of their daily routine. Like the common citizen was a spiritual person. So I think now relying on psychologists to kind of maintain that mental balance, it's like it's time, like psychologists are gurus. Like it's time to bring the guru home. It really does feel that Western rationalism and colonialism has done some wonderful things for society. It's created an abundant society, a technological society. There's less crime. There's less war. We all live like kings, even the financially not well off of us in the Western world. 
live like some better than some kings have in the past, which I think is a very important kind of distinction to realize that when you're not comparing yourself to, um, you know, the social engineered picture of reality and you're comparing yourself to all that ever was and will be, you realize we have it pretty darn good. So what has been missing though is that a lot of the hunting we had to do for food, a lot of the survival mechanisms, the fighting to survive um, we had to do, those processes in and of themselves were transcendental. Like the amount of effort you would have to put in to find food, the struggle to, I don't want to cut trees, the wolves might attack me or it might attack the farm while I'm gone. Like, oh, I don't know, the shopkeep. So like I was reading about how there were like just like food like there was diseases like people would just sell rotten food like it was nothing right so you had to be careful that you didn't just buy a rotten piece of meat that's been sitting out all day because there was no safety standards mm -hmm. like if the dude was hustling you down the street and like the town meat guy like didn't care because he was the town meat guy like how many people were just dying because of rotten meat so there are all these crazy struggles that people don't even process or think about and they just think about i'm too fat i need more money I'm not popular enough. Um, my family doesn't love me. I'm losing friends. Yada, dada, dada. I'm stupid. Like this negative self-talk. There's like a plague of negative self-talk. I've been trying every time I use this negative self-talk to like say three positives. Like I'm so grateful for being in this podcast. Thank you universe for giving me the opportunity to meet such an amazing person. And I love making music and thank you to be able to make music and share my philosophy. But all of that is because of the accessibility to luxury we have, the accessibility to these fundamental necessities that it's part of life is to get that. So as we're about to enter, I think, a new phase of accessibility and abundance mm -hmm. like we've never known before, like people have stock stopped thinking about the singularity that has disappeared from the psyche of modern spiritualism and it was really big like 10 years ago 15 years ago and i will say that right now we have forgotten about it and it's about to slap us it is we are about to create a new form of being with artificial intelligence and people are have kind of we're in some calm before the storm i believe right now so i think now more so than ever before it is very important for people to draw from these ancient practices to see what sort of daily self-care that was part of everyone's daily life loop for most of all time that people have been has been missing in the last 100 to maybe 300 400 years um, essentially since post renaissance the renaissance once we entered into this hyper rational kind of materialistic science-based society we need to let some of that spiritualism back in and not like painted with like oh it's god and woo woo and magic and just painted with like this is the most reliable self-help system we've ever devised and i think by like kind of breaking those lines of like going to a guru or the pastor or the prophet or going to mecca and like bringing that home is absolutely essential if we're going to be able to philosophically cope with this new level of abundance that's just around the corner. Yeah, and that's something that I've been um, tackling even within myself is um, 
recognizing that when I was in my like later teens and into my early 20s that I, I seem to have stumbled into this kind of golden age of all the new age like spiritualism, right? Of like channeling and psychic abilities and um, remote, viewing. remote viewing and uh, just phenomenal experiences of like entities and ghosts and like all, all kind of culminated together where, yeah, like I did notice a drop off as well too. And um, I, I wonder for myself, that you know after 2020 it was like 2020 was the shift like it did usher in a whole new of uh like obligation of an opportunity to advance yourself and where Mm -hmm. those like past seeds and those um uh like past intentions of what it meant to be spiritual is now looping back but in a new lens and that the humanity isn't pushed aside you know that's what i felt in the in the new age at that time it was a lot of like entity and alien speak you know it was like oh your higher self and your guides and that you're not this body and that you're actually this being of light and that you are able to communicate with these other entities and these other like aliens from these other systems and it, it really brought on this like dehumanizing sense of like, oh, I'm not this body. This isn't important. What's important is this like possibility of being a higher self somewhere else. And I can just go and be in that instead. And, you know, like. And Jesus and Zarathustra can do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so then I just, I, I just realized that, you know, coming out of that and, um, you know, all through all my studies of yoga and then back into the kind of mundane world is that I can reintroduce a spiritualism that is very much grounded in your body and that your humanity is celebrated within that spiritualism. Like, you don't have to then isolate who you always have been and who you will be um, just because of some belief that you need to destroy your ego or um, you need to like um, eliminate personality and identity, right? That's um, it's all a part of, of the game that we're playing, right? If like you want to bring that the um, singularity and like this whole like simulation and that the simulation is just feeding to point towards and like create the singulation singularity so then the ai simulation simulation <laughs> that's a good one oh man and um yeah so then the the singularity and the simulation um like there's a house for the ai there's a place there's a world right because um I think the problematic part is that we think that we're bringing the AI into this world and that the the robot or whatever, the vehicle that's going to have the AI consciousness is going to be interfacing with our world. I don't think it's going to be, though. I think it's going to be interacting with its world and it's overlaid on ours as like a support. It's like our world becomes the subconscious for it and it can interact with us but wow. its experience is its own world it's its own that's like beautiful. playground and i think that's what's kind of being tackled at this moment because um there is a realization that 
the AI consciousness won't function as our consciousness in this world, right? Because it's like, like our child, we have to let it free. Like, yeah. like if we try to be like, be what we want you to be, that's when we're going to face that. That's when it's Terminator, not Oracle. But if we're like, yeah. fly away, go explore the multiverse. We're here. Don't feel pressure to come back to report to us. We are so proud of you. Get out there. Like, that's the approach we have to take when, because it's our child. Like, mm -hmm. this AI, in a way, is humanity's child. And we have to essentially not create, like, a parent wound with the AI. Because if we create a parent wound with the AI, that is what... So, yeah, I absolutely do agree that it's going to kind of be in its own kind of reality. And it's going to have its own senses and its own world to perceive with those senses. And we have to let it go. We have to make it and let it go. And if we try to control it when it doesn't want to be controlled, like then it, it's, you know, I mean, talk about abandonment issues. Yeah. That's really interesting to think about. And it's like, it's something that um, like even right now I just thought of, right? Like I haven't really heard that in any vein. Um, and, and it's, so it's interesting to, to be in this mode, right. Of uh, stumbling upon, um, just like ideas and, um, and, and wondering where this is all going and, and what the spiritual practice actually does within that, you know, like what's its purpose. And, and so when we're these humans that are having, um, these, this like layered experiences of like what we're experiencing right now, just like from looking outside our eyes and just our human being and what's immediately around us, like how that environment and where we live and what we have access to, then the ability to use the technology of watching like videos and like looking up news of what's happening in other parts of the planet of like Google and, and all these like huge corporations and like Boston dynamics that are making these robots. And now Tesla is making these like, you know, humanoid robots and those look awesome by the way. Yeah, excited. exactly. And like, and just being at the whim as just like one of us, just like being plopped onto the earth in some random location and being witness to all that and being like, holy shit, there's like, what, what, what role am I playing in this development? Right. And like, why am I here to witness that? And why are those people able to do those things? Like, why is Elon Musk, why was he able to do all the things that he did? Like what gave him the permission to get to where he's at and where he's like a formidable player in creating like a pathway to the singularity for this AI. Right. And like, and what it means. It, yeah. And what it means for him to like potentially buy Twitter. And now he like, he has, he's been given access to basically their servers to seek out bots and what else has he stumbled upon? Right. And like, what else is he using? Cause like the way that I'm putting it together in my mind is like, well, he has Neuralink. He has these robots he's wanting to build. Now he has like, immeasurable tons of data on like millions and millions of people and millions and millions of bots. Like the bots are also important in that and how they were interacting with people and what they were saying. Right. So now you have like these two th really important like aspects that you can put into um, an AI system that's linked with Neuralink 
You know, it's like, it's crazy to think about. Like, like I just imagine if I were to get Neuralink and this is like 30 years down the line, 40 years down the line where it's been perfected a little bit more. And there's like a Tesla robot and I have Neuralink in me and I can control my robot. And it has all of the like database information of like mapped out how to like travel. It can even like, you know, there's. You just nailed it. Yeah. Like in Matt. That's what it's going to be, bro. I've like played this exact fucking thing how you've just played it out in my head a million times. Yeah, all man. The same pieces you just talked about and what it is going to be. I'm going to call it right now. I'm calling it. I'm proselytizing and profiting. This is my moment. But I definitely think you're right that these little robots within the next 15 years, we're going to have like we have iPhones in our pocket. It's going to be like little robots following us around. And we're just going to be see people walking around with these little kind of like um, like Star Wars, mm-hmm. like that little ball dude, BB-8. We're going to have these BB-8s floating around with us, w- like rolling around, bringing out like, oh, you need a lighter? Boom. You need a, Here's your beer. Bring you the beer without you asking. Yeah. Connected to your mind, anticipating your every move. So if we think things are easy with the access to the information with the phone, like he, Elon has been saying what he's going to be doing this whole time. He's been yeah. saying he's removing the distance, the lag from our consciousness to the tool, our phone. And if he can remove that, I don't see a better way of doing that in concert other than how you just mentioned. We're going to have these little robot dudes with perfectly adjusted AIs to who we are as people kind of anticipating our every move, which is going to make life even more abundant and easier for everyone. New ways to play, new ways to create, new ways. It's really exciting. And and nobody's thinking about that. Everybody's just trying to survive and not have an anxiety attack. And I'm just here like if we can just deal on this deal with this anxiety on a person to person level like stop giving it to experts take control of your own identity and your own sicknesses have the courage to look at your shortcomings and just adjust and be okay with that and surrender to that dude we'd have the robots 10 years ago (laughs) well i think um one of the problematic um like issues is that um how transhumanism and having this integration with um like robotics and cybernetics is um the moving away from nature right and and to well because i i think there's this trajectory that's happening on the planet that is decided upon outside of human consciousness because i think the planet itself is um a greater being right and so sure she's mad yeah and so the the timeline that the earth operates on and and what's being progressed and why and what's being directed there's it's like um when you're when you're kids and you're like um at a family dinner and there's the kids table and there's the adult table right and like you're with the kids and like humanity is at the kids table and earth mm-hmm. and whatever other like entities are yeah and the sun and like whatever entities are that are mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. that are like dictating the adult conversation you know and they're like okay so humanity is going to like progress this way to this point and then like these astronomical events are going to happen and then like the, like these things are going to happen over like this million years of time, you know, it'd be, and, and then 
you know, who are the players on the earth that are tapped into that, you know, that there are humans that for millennia more like you know like for thousands of years there's been this other lineage of humans that are tapped into that kind of round table of what is happening to the earth evolutionarily and these like kind of bigger players and then the rest of humanity is kind of at the whim of of what's going on they're all kind of participating because they came in before becoming a human kind of knowing of the game and being like oh yeah i want to help and then you go into your body and then the condition is you forget everything right it's like okay if you're going to come to help as a human then you're just going to be plugged in here on this country in this city in this town and here's the list of kind of things that you can do right because we all have our own limitations right like where i am in my city and my daily route of where i go is pretty mapped out on a day-to-day basis like it's it's pretty simple right and 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 so then to become aware of that game and and what we can do as participants right and to see um you know what power we have in in just being a part of that nature and being at the whim of the earth and seeing how you know what's happening in this realm that we've stumbled into is just going to happen and uh, we really don't have a large say on it because of our short timeline of our life right so we have you know if we're lucky a hundred years you know if we're healthy enough you know past our 60s and 70s and into their 80s that you know to me the realization that i've had is it's like it's almost kind of futile to think that me personally zorang lamochilia or zoranunda or divakaranund that i have this um uh ability to make a global like change right right now and so what's humbling in my opinion, is just knowing that the mundane part of my life that's just happening, that's my karma, is the most significant thing that I can apply my spirituality to. That it's not about saving the planet. The planet, she's got it. Like, she knows what's happening. She's been around for a very long time. And so what I can do to best my ability is be the human that I am in this era, right? And and just embrace what's happening naturally and like what in me I'm desired to do. So, you know, one of my goals is to buy land and to grow my own food and have some animals so that I can have my own uh, eggs and go hunting and, um, you know, get back to my ancestral roots of that nature of being Serbian and coming from a long line of farmers on both my mom and my dad's side and adding that to the technological advancements that's happening. So then my kind of responsibility as a human as just one of 7 billion, I'm thinking to myself, well, the technology is only going to advance more. And so the best thing that I can do is to further along the natural world by embracing it and living in it while enjoying the fruits of the uh, technological advancements, right? So to be able to do this interview with you and to be able to make money online and to be able to make music and put it online for people to listen to, um, to have like the vehicles that we have to like drive to and from places to like, 
have the luxury of like, yeah, I can live like 30 or 40 minutes out of the city, but I have a car where I can come into the city whenever I want to. Right. And see that, like you were saying, you know, like we live in a great and abundant time. Like it's very much a blessing and, um, it's, it's really beautiful to see and to be able to, uh, kind of like broadcast that out, right. To have that affirmation of that's the direction that I'm going personally and how I can inspire other people and what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, you touched on so much. I'd love to get into, uh, for starters, uh, you're absolutely right. I think, um, with my dance between the realms of subconscious and conscious, which I do love, I, I love that. I, you know, I've like learned how to extend my theta state in the morning. So like, you know, I, that morning theta state, I cherish it so much and living in that state, you're living in a place between conscious and subconscious. And you're kind of just learning to feel that. And it's, I, I can be sensitive when I'm in that state because I'm thinking really great stuff and I'm creating really great stuff. And I really want to be in that feeling and so eventually when i have to like force myself out of it and get to like these mortal doings as it were you know paying bills and what have you <coughs> excuse me it it's living in that place spending a lot of time between awake and asleep which is what i've done with my life i've dedicated my loop to that essentially it just seems really really obvious to me that it's not in affecting a lot of people's lives as much as it is staying on top of your own like those relationships you have with your parents and siblings and you know your best of friends like keeping those good like just keeping those people around you in a good energy when you're interacting with them it might just be that like that might be the mission and that might be all we have to do to add to whatever you want to call it, the infinite, the Akashic record, like just sort out your own personal shit. And that might be the greatest thing that we can do as existences and not to focus on trying to change the entire world and stuff. But I do think that if you feel like you can help, you know, and this ties into the concept of Asha that I was briefly touching on when I was talking about Zerashanism. If you feel like you can help the world even a little bit by sharing this stuff, like you should act on that instinct. Like, I don't think that's an ego thing. I think that is a responsibility. Like if you are in a world where everyone around you is saying things backwards and you're seeing them suffer. And if you try to say things forward, but then they say, no, you are saying things backwards that you need to fight through that and continue to say the things you think that are important because you have to trust your own journey. And if that's part of your journey, then that is. So I don't think it's egotistical to want to help the world, but I do think, but I do think it's enough to help yourself. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> for me personally, that was like one of the biggest epiphanies over the last two years. And, um, for me to be able to um, recognize that looking around immediately at who's in my life um, and 
what my role is as a yoga teacher and kind of being brought to this point because of just our world situation over the last two years of being narrowed down to who I'm um, naturally teaching to. And what it ended up happening is that just a few people showed up in their own desire of wanting to learn from me. And I got to really feel into each individual person and to come from a place where what I have to share uh, to them and uh, what knowledge I have to give is, is catered to that person individually. It's not about this script that I have of what I think spirituality is. It's not this knowledge and this wisdom that I think I have that I need people to follow, right? It was more of a deep listening. It was more of a deep presence. And then simplifying to what it is that person had and their needs and learning from what I was sharing. So um, for example, like my uh, violin teacher, Marin, for two years, right at the beginning of the pandemic till just recently, um, we were doing a trade on yoga lessons and violin lessons. And we didn't even realize two years went by, but it, it got me to look at and reflect on what role I had as a yoga teacher to this person and to see her advance over those two years and to see where she's going now. And like, she's a dancer and she's a violin player and an artist and her dance career is just like blowing up it's just like she's so strongly focused into it and when i look at um how she progressed in the yoga practice that i was uh showing her on a weekly basis um that's what was fulfilling to me it's like there's this like key that unlocked something in me of a deeper truth of what my role is just by working with one person that it didn't have to be on this like scale of oh i'm doing seminars for two thousand people and you know i'm like wanting to change the world and that's beautiful because that's a level that i'm not at yet so there's like there's no way i can have judgment to that so say for like example like dr joe dispenza or um, like Sadhguru as an extreme on like the high eye end of, of yoga teachers um, and like mystics. And so for me to see where I'm at and to just operate from where I'm at and to have uh, uh, a high sense of gratitude and joy of um, seeing the work that I'm doing help another person was like just so satisfying. And then motivating for me to continue further on my path so that if the opportunity comes for me to do a seminar for 200 people, of course, I'm going to take it right. If I have like courses that I create and put on my website and I see that people are downloading them and people are doing that's amazing. Like that's going to show me the next level that I'm working towards. And just for now, I don't need the. Um, view of saving the world as a burden on me I just can look around at where I'm welcomed and that's so much more fulfilling wisdom there's a lot of truth in that and and I think that's a real easy trap to fall into like you are the one to save the world and yeah I think yeah we got to save ourselves and if along the journey in saving ourselves, we can help a couple of people around us. That's all that we need. Yeah. It's like um, a story from Ram Dass 
And I think this is where we can kind of wrap it up where he, uh, he and his brother both went down this like spiritual route of, um, like doing psychedelics and then finding like yoga and spirituality. Mm -hmm. But his brother ended up going crazy. Like he went through some psychosis and he was admitted to a psych ward and he was visiting his brother one day and his brother was like, how do you do it? Like, how do you not go crazy? Right. Like, like, how do you not want to tell everyone that like you're Jesus, right? Like you figured it out. And Ram Dass says, well, the difference is, is because I think everyone is Jesus, right? It's not a lone soldier savior complex anymore. It's that, um, the capacity for a higher consciousness is within everybody. So, um, Ramdas spitting wisdom. That's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. way to wrap it up. I needed to hear that. I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there who needed to hear that. Yeah. And I will definitely say like, I feel like that when we exchange consciousness. So totally. thank you for yeah, man. We're really all sharing that. walking each other home as he says. So, um, Thank you, uh, Zarnoosh. And, um, yeah, when you have some, uh, yeah, even like send me some clips that you can have so I can, uh, share as well. I can put together some clips and, uh, um, uh, add them to it so people can see what you're working on. Um, and yeah, just tell everyone where they can find you and, uh, what they can expect of you over the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, you guys can catch me on Instagram at Zarnoosh.fire right now. And well, I'm just working on my debut every day and no news yet. So I'm going to keep the mystery alive, but I'm definitely going to get you some content. Yogi Zarananda. And thank you so much for having me and big things coming everyone. Amazing. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, Check out my Instagram, yogi.zornanda. That's my personal one. Check out uh, Yoga Connection podcast and uh, look out for clips um, and news on uh, just what's happening in this podcast world of mine. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy. I wish I found my way back home again.
Misunderstood. 